Welcome to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. August 22nd, 2022. It is Monday, and I've been waiting for a couple of days for clearance from one of the victims of a carjacking whom I interviewed to give me permission to speak about her story. Unfortunately for me, she also shared her story with many local news outlets in the New Orleans area, but I'm going to tell you all about what happened. Victims are beginning to speak out after the New Orleans mayor sat in open court and supported a 13-year-old, double-A, 13% hyphenated American, Blafrican boy, a minority child, for armed carjacking. You heard me correctly. Carjacking victims in New Orleans are speaking out now after a 13-year-old black boy was convicted in court of armed carjacking of five different people in two days. You heard me correctly. A 13-year-old pulled a gun, not once, to carjack one car, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five separate carjackings in a two-day period of time. So this thug little criminal, this future inmate, this little animal could go joyriding at 13 years old in other people's vehicles. You're not even old enough for a learner's permit at age 13, yet this little thug in training carjacked five people. Of course, laughing about it in court, he said it was a fake gun. I guess he felt those people were stupid to believe it was a real gun. The victims of these five individual armed carjackings say the entire experience for them has been quite traumatizing. One moment, you're pulling into your driveway after getting off of work. The next day, you have a gun pointed at your head. It's a crime that's been keeping them on the edge. And it's the reason that these five individuals in New Orleans say they are ready to move the hell out. I don't want to live in a city anymore where it feels like the city doesn't support me. Madison Bergeron is a Caucasian, blonde-haired law student. She says, I'm literally held at gunpoint, and my attacker gets three years probation and is just let back out onto the streets to continue to do the same things to other people. Ms. Bergeron said she never thought this would happen to her. I didn't know what to do, she said. I was terrified. You think that in that moment, your life is going to end. For me, I didn't know what to do. If I move, are they going to shoot me? She said the black boy held a gun at her as a group of kids took her bag, her backpack, and drove off with her car. Later on, she found out it was a group of children aged 12 through 14. After stealing Miss Bergeron's car, they decided to target another woman who says she's still scared to death for her life. This other victim who refuses to give her name on conditions that she fears these thugs will come back and find her. Trust me, they know who you are. They went to your house and carjacked you. They know where you live. She says, I open my door and all of a sudden I see a large gun barrel pointed to my face or in my face. That's all I could focus on. There was a kid behind the gun shouting, get the F out of the car. Get the F out of the car. I'm going to shoot you. And I freaked out. My initial reaction was just comply because I thought I was going to die. But these African-American thugs didn't stop there. No, sir. They carjacked a total of five different cars in two days. The gunman, a 13-year-old African-American thug, authorities learned later was a fake, was convicted and sentenced on Thursday last week for three years, probation, no jail time. 
The sentencing that doesn't sit well for the two victims that sat in the courtroom, or the other three who were scared to death to appear in court. As Mayor LaToilette Cantrell sat there showing support for the little criminal thug 13% hyphenated American black child who carjacked five people in two days. Ms. Bergeron says to have sat on the attacker's side, consoling his mother, consoling him. It's just like, it makes you think, what the hell's going on? It makes you feel really victimized. It makes you think that she doesn't support you because she, LaToilet Cantrell, is the face of the city. What makes it even worse is Judge Raynard Derensburg said the mayor's support didn't sway the decision. He said, my decision was based on the best interests of the juvenile and the community as the youth participated in eight months of programming and remains complying. Let me repeat that in English. The judge says the mayor supporting and consoling this child, this little thug criminal animal, didn't sway his decision. He said, quote, my decisions were based on the best interest of the juvenile. What about the victim? What about the five victims, judge? Do their best interests mean nothing? He says in the best interest of the juvenile and the community, because the youth participated previously in eight months of programming and remains complying. Let me ask you this, my Truth Hurts program listeners. Eight months of programming? What is that like? Counseling? It's obviously not working if the little thugs went out there and carjacked five people. A member of Mayor LaToilette Cantrell's administration, another Democrat, said, quote, He's gone through very important programs administered by the city. The Pathways program that reaches out to youth and tries to get them on the right path. This kid graduated from all levels of the program. Mr. Joseph says, Mayor LaToilette Cantrell was there because the mayor is invested in the juvenile programs to help get them out of trouble and give them the support they need to turn their lives around. Is this mayor going to turn its back on this child and other children who make a mistake? Absolutely not, Joseph said. A mistake? How about five armed carjackings resulting in over $150,000 worth of property damage and another thirty to 40000 in stolen goods not yet recovered? We ask what the administration might say to the victims who feel like they're not being supported by the city in which they live, in which they pay taxes. Mr. Joseph, on behalf of the mayor, said, We have never lost sight of the traumas that these victims have felt. We have never lost sight of that. Not lost sight of it, but lost side of it. When she go to the courtroom, she's showing support, not just for the victims, but for the defendants. That's what the mayor is trying to do. Now the two women are left on edge. Ms. Bergeron says, I can barely leave the house. And both women say that it's sad they can no longer feel safe in a place that they've called home. One of the victims who remains nameless for fear of retaliation says, It feels like it's only going to get worse, so I said we need to leave. And until new leadership comes in, I can't see it starting to get better. I can feel safer again, then we can come back. But right now, we have to escape. Just this year, in the city of New Orleans alone, within the city limits, controlled by Mayor LaToilette Cantrell and her ilk, there have been over 180 180 carjackings. That number is already higher than this time last year when it was 170. The mayor's administration says they are working with the New Orleans Police Department to tackle crime by working on getting more officers to join the force. 
The district attorney's office said they weren't pleased with the juvenile's sentencing. They sent a statement to the media saying, quote, In this case, our prosecutors fought and argued for the judge to impose the maximum possible sentence. It was abundantly clear, based on the facts, the evidence, the circumstances, that serious jail time is required to ensure accountability and public safety. We are extremely disappointed in the sentence that was ultimately handed down. The other juveniles involved got a whopping 30 days at home with an ankle monitor. 30 days at home by their grandmama house or their crackhead mama house with an ankle monitor that I'm sure they'll go to school and proudly display as a badge of honor or a badge of courage or perhaps a free pass to the gang rituals. What the hell is happening in the city of New Orleans? Oh, really? You don't think it's just New Orleans? I don't either. All of the major Democrat-run cities are experiencing similar crime waves and similar shortened sentences. That's what you get when Joe Biden runs the country. Speaking of, the U.S. Census Bureau has now admitted they overcounted seven blue states. You heard me correctly. The United States Census Bureau says that they overcounted seven Democrat-leaning states and only one red state. The United States Census Bureau survey shows that they overcounted the populations in Delaware, you know, where Joe Biden has that Rehoboth Beach house, Hawaii, where Obama was supposedly born, Massachusetts, home of many Democrat politicians, Minnesota, New York, Ohio, Rhode Island, and Utah. The largest mistake, ironically, in Joe Biden's home state of Delaware, which was overcounted by five and a half percent. Believe me, my friends. Florida, a red state, needed only 171,500 more residents to gain another congressional seat. Yet the survey shows that Florida was undercounted by over 750,000 residents. The Bureau said Texas only needed 189 more thousand people to gain another congressional seat. Yet they, a red state, was undercounted by half a million, 560,319 residents. Do you not see this is a concerted, contrived, manufactured, designed, engineered, and implemented deliberate act on the part of the Census Bureau by the Democrats? Let me break this down for you. Delaware, Hawaii, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New York, Ohio, Utah, and Rhode Island. All of those, my friends, except for, I believe, Utah, solidly blue, Democratic-controlled states. Overcounted, so they got extra congressional seats. Get it? The states whose populations were undercounted red Arkansas, red Florida, red Mississippi, red Texas, red Tennessee, and oddly enough, Illinois, which is actually kind of purple if you take Chicago out of the mix. The largest error in the undercount was in Arkansas, Bill Clinton land. Imagine that population count was off by 5%. I'm going to go back through some of this important stuff for you so you understand. Not only voter fraud at those machines, but census fraud. The original census reported that Florida had only needed 171,500 more residents to gain another congressional seat, which would have most likely been Republican because of the demographics of the state. A survey shows that Florida was undercounted by over three quarters of a million people. Over 750,000 undercounted. The Bureau said that Texas only needed 189,000 more people to gain another congressional seat. Again, most likely red, Republican. 
because of the demographics. But the survey shows that Texas was undercounted by 560,319 residents. Minnesota, according to the original census report, would have lost the congressional seat during this reapportionment if it had 26 fewer residents. Yet the survey shows the state was overcounted by 216,970 individuals. So guess what? They didn't lose the seat. They should have lost the seat, a Democrat seat. In the same vein, the little teeny tiny state of Rhode Island would have lost the seat had the Census Bureau counted properly. They actually overcounted that state by 55,000 individuals. If that was corrected, they too would have lost the Democratic House of Representatives seat. Do you not see? Once again, Donald Trump was correct about making a big frickin' stink about the census. People, this is huge. It was huge. It is huge. And the Democrats knew about it. They knew about it all along. I'm sure they have a completely rational and reasonable explanation why they want to allocate billions of dollars in federal funds to certain blue states and not red states. Imagine that. Donald Trump was right. And no one can argue that. These are congressional seats, representatives. If you look at this straight away, right now, the Republicans would be in charge of the House of Representatives, not the do-nothing Democrats. You can see by the scope and breadth of the errors, they're really scared of an actual census count. Basically, Democrats got multiple free House of Representative seats because they rigged things in the census counting. In a branch of government that is historically a toss-up for whichever party has control, Democrats will rig anything and do whatever it takes to gain and regain and maintain power. Donald Trump was right. He's exposed so much since he entered this political field. Meanwhile, Democrats and their supporters either know what's going on and choose to not speak about it, or they're so completely and utterly brainwashed that they cannot see the obvious banana republic fascism that's going on here. And it can only get worse. How was Trump right? Hmm. Between pushing to have all real, true American citizens counted and an accurate census count, hmm. I wonder, my friends, how many illegal, trespassing, criminal, law-breaking, invading immigrants helped to skew those particular numbers? Since, of course, we all know many were bussed to Florida and shipped off in the dead of night throughout Tennessee, Texas, and other states. Don't worry, my friends. The Republicans might take back the House in the midterm elections. I have to just hope that they have the balls to do something about it. The difference is Texas and Florida did indeed have massive Hispanic population growth spurts as a proportion of their population compared to many of these other states. And there's not a damned thing that we can do but hope and pray that the voting in the fall is done legitimately without cheating and the Republicans can take back the House of Representatives. One person who won't be back in the next chapter would be Dr. Anthony Fucci. The New York Slime says that Dr. Fucci told them today, Monday, that he has intended to leave government service December of this year to pursue the next chapter of his career. He will step down as Biden's top medical advisor and the director of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases which he has been in charge of for 38 years. Fucci is 81 years old, and I think he's made enough money from those vaccination stocks, those booster stocks, 
masks and gloves and sanitizer stocks that he can call it quits with a shit pot full of money and laugh at you, me, and the rest of the nation for falling for the Wuhan China novel coronavirus hoax of 2019. And now, the monkeypox. Monkeypox, by the way, my friends, is a gay man's disease. Do not be fooled by the CDC declaring that it is not a gay man's disease. Okay? Queer men sticking square pegs in holes they shouldn't be sticking them in, sweating against each other with their open sores, their disgusting, vile homosexual acts, are spreading it amongst their own community. And that, my listeners, is the reason that the CDC is scrambling right now to get millions of doses of the monkeypox vaccine, not distributed nationwide, not distributed to old folks' homes or elementary school children or preschools, certainly not to be distributed in the mainstream heterosexual community. But where? To the pride parades, the pride festivals, the LGBTQIA slut fests and sex fests, the Sodom and Gomorrah festivals that are occurring all over the country. New Orleans is postponing many of the aspects of its decadence festival, the giant queer, lesbian, transgender freak show that happens in the French Quarter every year, where these slimy, disgusting queers all slide their bodies against each other and have open sex orgies and spread diseases like monkeypox. But it's not a gay disease, the CDC says. The Biden administration says. Mr. Fauci, Dr. Fufucci says. It's not a gay disease. Then why the hell are you sending and shipping all of this monkeypox vaccine to the gay, lesbian, queer, transgender, freakazoid shows? It's a gay disease. Make no mistake about it. The CDC effed up with COVID-19, and they are effing up right now with monkeypox, which is spreading like wildfire in the gay, lesbian, transgender freak show community. 16,000 cases, I believe, as of today, spreading faster in the gay community than AIDS did in the gay community, spreading faster than sickle cell anemia at a Michael Jackson concert, spreading faster than the Wuhan China novel coronavirus at one of those old folks' homes that former Governor Cuomo shipped all of those COVID-positive patients to to ensure that conservative elderly people would die and he could slide into re-election. It is disgusting. It's criminal. And I'll be honest with you, folks. All of these people in charge of all of this garbage should be executed publicly, period. That's just the way it should be. Here's a story that caught my attention. Mike Martin of Best Life says an employee lied on a resume and now he has to give back $118,000 of pay. 68-year-old John Andrews has already served two years in prison after pleading guilty to fraud for fabricating his resume, which earned him a job as the chairman of the two National Health Service Trusts and a hospice. He held the hospice job from 2004 through 2016 when his deception was uncovered after he announced plans to take an early retirement. Dr. Andrews was actually a former construction worker. He called himself Dr. John Andrews, claiming to have a PhD from Plymouth University, a first-class undergraduate and master's degree set from Bristol University, and a master's in business administration from Edinburgh. He also falsely claims to have worked for the Home Office and HM Revenue and Customs in the British government. In reality, Andrews had none of these qualifications. He did have a certificate in social work. He had been a construction worker, a probation officer, 
and even a customs officer in England before he decided to reinvent himself and identify as a PhD holder. Well, what's wrong with that? There are men identifying as women, women identifying as men. We have a vice president who's identifying as African-American. We have a U.S. senator identifying as Native American, and she's not. And we have a president identifying as a cogent, sound-minded individual, and clearly he's not. Outstanding choice, Dr. Andrews got the job ahead of 116 other candidates. With that fabricated experience, you know, like the plagiarized speeches of Joe Biden, Dr. Andrews scored a job running a hospice. He had roles as director and chairman of the Torbay NHS Care Trust, and he was chairman of the Royal Cornwall NHS Hospital Trust in England. The panel that interviewed him for one of the trust positions called him, quote, an outstanding choice, unquote. Picked him over 116 other candidates. The UK Daily Mail reported that he earned more than $118,000 a year from those three positions. But in 2017, Andrews pled guilty in court to fraud and obtaining financial gain by falsifying his way into that hospice executive job. The judge who sentenced him said his outwardly prestigious life was based upon a lie and more accurately, a series of staggering lies. They were repeated lies about education, employment background, and experience. Lies by which Andrews obtained responsible positions for which he was at least probably, if not certainly, not qualified and would otherwise have not obtained. Positions in which honesty and integrity were essential qualities. The British judge said, of course, because of your fraud, you received an income you should not have received. Above all, what you did means that you were performing responsible roles, which you should not have been performing. And inevitably, that causes real damage to the public's confidence in the organizations in which you deceived. Again, I wonder if we could push this judge over to the United States and have him oust Joe Biden from office on the same pretense. At the time, prosecutors filed to recover the money. They said Andrews fraudulently earned over 10 years earnings as the head of that hospice. That was nixed by an appeals court. This week, the UK Supreme Court reinstated the penalty. They've ruled that Andrews is forced to return more than $760,000 would be considered excessive and that a middle way was appropriate because Andrews had actually done the job he was paid to do. Andrews did a good job as chief executive and was regularly praised as either strong or outstanding, the judges said. So they told him he had to pay back one year, $118,000. Today, by the way, Mr. Andrews runs a curtains and blinds company with his wife in merry old England. How do you like that? Joe Biden's acting like he's the president and earning a salary. Donald Trump was the president doing a hell of a job, and he donated his salary. I guess that's the Democrat-Republican difference. This is the Truth Hurts program. Have you gone out to eat at a restaurant recently? Lots of us have. Many people during the pandemic were ordering takeout to go, and they became accustomed to things like delivery fees and fuel surcharges, etc. But you need to double check your bill. According to Lauren Bird in MoneyWise, restaurants are tacking on sneaky little fees to avoid raising menu prices on the items on the menu. John Savage and his wife don't go out to eat much anymore because they live in San Francisco and the cost of a meal there is skyrocketing, even though the menu prices of individual items have not. Savage says when you go out to a restaurant, you do a mental math evaluation. You say, well, we spent $60 on food or 70, then all of a sudden the bill comes out and it's 130. It's not that Savage is bad at math. A few months ago, he went on Twitter to vent his frustration 
about the escalating fees tacked onto the bills at restaurants in San Francisco. He wrote, Looking to take my wife out to dinner in San Fran, 20% mandatory tip, they call it an equity fee, whatever that means, a 5% San Francisco health care tax, 8.625% sales tax. Right off the bat, that's one-third, 33% added to the cost of your meal. Looks like I'll be cooking at home. Savage acknowledges that restaurants and other businesses have gone through some rough times since the beginning of the Wuhan China novel coronavirus pandemic. And rather than raising prices on each menu item to account for inflation or reducing portion size through shrinkflation, it seems like their pain is being passed on in a new, sneakier way to the customer. It's called fee, F-E-E-flation. Somewhat ambiguous, these fees have been cropping up on bills around the nation in recent months. Romano's Macaroni Grill adds a $2 surcharge at its location to help alleviate what they call macroeconomic pressures. Cava, a champagne bar in Kansas City, Missouri, is charging a 20% hospitality fee on all tabs to, quote, ensure livable competitive compensation for all staff, unquote. Ally Restaurants in Minnesota, a chain of two, and a food truck, is charging a wellness fee to make up for benefits for their staff. It's all down there at the bottom. That $10 hamburger might still be a $10 hamburger, but when your bill comes in and it's $21.50, you have to shake your head in disbelief. Joe Biden's inflation is still at 8.5% as of July, 9.1% in June, and well over 8.5% average for the three months preceding June. From a restaurateur's perspective, the challenges are starting to add up. And meanwhile, the service industry has been hit hard by job turnover because the Democratic Party was paying people more money to stay home than to go to their jobs and do their jobs. The I quit rates in leisure and hospitality have been about 5% since the fall of 2020 when the Wuhan China novel coronavirus first started to hit in earnest. And we knew pretty sure that Joe Biden was going to take the election away from Donald Trump. Gasoline went up from $2 a gallon to $5 a gallon. Restaurant people say if they were to do something similar, a $15 burger would be $35. And that won't fly with the public, so people won't come in. So he's sneaking fees to the bottom of the bill. An embarrassed person might pay it today, but they won't come back. Tackling the surcharges at the checkout is nothing new. Airlines and hotels and car and truck rental agencies have been doing this for years. Jeff Gallick is an associate professor of marketing at Carnegie Mellon University. He says, psychologically, it's a lot easier for consumers to think about a single number as opposed to a roll-up of numbers. He says consumers are more likely to swallow a higher price when it comes in the form of extra fees and charges. When a higher-than-anticipated price is presented to you, it can turn you off without you even thinking about it. Gee, he's a professor. He went to eight years of college to learn that. I know guys that, well, they just go to Taco Bell and see extra charges on their bill, and they don't come back. By the time you realize these additional fees are on the bill, you've already been committed, probably already eaten your food. Like I said, you'll run the risk of alienating customers and running them off permanently. To me, those fees are an outright lie at the end of the bill. If you can't have the courage to put it up front, then guess what? I'll be fooled once. But as Gomer Pyle says, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, Sergeant Carter. And that's the way it is. That's reality in America. Many businesses will see losing customers at the end of the transaction is better than putting them off at the beginning with a higher initial cost. Really? I would rather you tell me up front so I can make an informed decision than screw me 
when I am expecting to come to the dinner table for a $100 total meal, including tax and tip, and it comes out to be $130, I've got a problem with that because I may have only brought a $100 bill. And now I have to put it on a credit card and pay Joe Biden's inflated interest. It's a risky move. But Professor Gallick says it's a risk most restaurants are willing to take, even though it comes with blurred ethical lines. It seems like businesses, he says, are perhaps taking advantage of the inflation. And instead of potentially cutting into their own profits, they do seem to be acting in a much more aggressive and selfish way, which one might argue businesses are supposed to do. From a consumer perspective, from a societal perspective, boy, that can be problematic. The blurriness that frustrates customers like John Savage and yours truly makes you feel like you're in a bind. As a customer, you're kind of put into a bind, says Savage. You're trying to guess how much your bill is at the end of the night. You plan for that before leaving home. And I understand the struggle of restaurants in the last two years with COVID, but it all gets knocked in at the end. Professor Gallick says there isn't much you can do to work around this type of pricing. He suggests making use of websites that aggregate prices. You can check out a restaurant's website to see if there are added charges, or you could call ahead and ask the staff. But ultimately, being an informed consumer is nowhere near as easy these days as it used to be. It's getting harder and harder for consumers to be able to make informed decisions on their tight budgets. Due to Biden's inflation, businesses are getting more and more sneaky and clever in how they conceal their price changes and price gouging. I'm out of time for this edition of the Truth Hurts program, my Truth Hurts program listeners. Go out there and have a great day, what's left of it. We'll see you on the next edition of the Truth Hurts program. Bye-bye for now. Portions of this program have been edited for time and content. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. I apologize if you were offended, but I retract nothing. Background music provided by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Audionautics.